Revelation chapter 4. Let's stand together, please. Good to see you on this Sunday night. And um, I'm going to preach tonight a topical message. Uh, by that I mean it's not really an expository message, though we will expose some things about the context. But I want to I preach a simple topical message. We'll look up a number of references on what it means to have a biblical worldview. A biblical world view. And I want to begin with this verse that is a very, very important verse, but it also has a very important statement about this matter of a biblical worldview. Verse 11 of Revelation chapter 4. Well, let's just back up, not just read verse 11. Um, look in verse 10. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying. This is what they're saying as they cast their crowns before the throne. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word tonight. We need your help as we study together. Help us to be attentive. There's so many things that compete for our attention. Distractions, responsibilities, all these things. But God, I pray that you'd help us to have laser-focused minds tonight on your word, what the word of God says for our benefit personally, individually, for our families, for our children, for our fellow Christians. We pray that, Lord, you'd help us uh, to get something out of the Bible tonight. And we'll thank you and praise you for it in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The scene, as you probably can uh, determine by what we've looked at in the passage, the scene is in heaven. God has allowed John, the beloved, who was exiled on the Isle of Patmos, as we mentioned Wednesday night, talking about the martyrs, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And while he's there, the Bible says he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Good place to be in, in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And the Lord allowed him to see into the future. This is not his imagination. This is not him dreaming and having some vision because he ate too much pizza before he went to bed at night. This is the Lord revealing to him things that are going to happen in the future. The Lord revealed these things to him. In chapter 4 and verse 2 it says... Well, let me just read chapter 4 and verse 1. After this, John says, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me which said, Come up hither and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne. 
So this takes place after the rapture of the saints, after the rapture of believers, those who belong to Christ. John is escorted in this vision into heaven. He saw into the future, and verse 2 says he saw the throne in heaven and one that sat upon the throne. In verse 8, he describes these four beasts. Um, and each one had six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within. And these four beasts rest not day and night, 24-7, 365 days a year. They just keep saying the same thing. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. That's amazing, isn't it? And then, as we read a moment ago in verse 10, we see these four and twenty elders that represent uh, the believers fall down before him and worship him and cast their crowns before the throne. They're worshiping the Lord. And where do they get these crowns? These crowns are rewards. And they're casting them at the feet of the Lord. And that brings us to our text, verse 11, because these, these are the words of these four and twenty elders, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. John saw this, saw this taking place and heard these voices, and they said, For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. God is being praised in heaven. God is being worshipped in heaven, and God is being recognized in heaven as the creator of all things. And... Verse 11, the last few words of verse 11 is, is the point that is so relevant to our discussion tonight. Actually, it's not discussion. Discussion, I guess you'd have two parts, but our sermon tonight. For thy pleasure they are and were created. Heaven recognizes, now young person, think about this. In heaven, it is recognized that everything that exists exists for God's pleasure. Everything. He made everything. This, is, this to me is such a revealing statement. First of all, that God made everything. John, in chapter 1 and verse 3, John says, All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. He made all the people. He made animals. And He made you. Amen? Because He is the giver of life. All life comes from Him. And everything God made, He made for His pleasure. Right? He made, he made you for His pleasure. Now that's a pretty interesting thing to think about tonight for me. Because most of the world is living for their own pleasure. And many people even who profess faith in Christ are living a great deal of their time for their 
pleasure, but everything God made, and God made everything, and everything God made, He made for His pleasure. If someone were to ask you, what is the reason you exist? What is the reason you exist? And you probably think, well, I exist to wash the dishes when mama says so and carry out the trash and, and try to make passing grades and all those are good things. But from God's perspective, young person, here's the quiz. From God's perspective, why are you breathing God's air tonight? And you know why we all exist? It's for God's pleasure. Not for my pleasure. The purpose in my life is not my pleasure. The purpose of my life is God's pleasure. Now, number one, we need to understand that. As adults, we need to understand that. As teenagers, young adults, we need to understand that. But not only do we need to understand it, but we need to have somehow transmit that to our children. This is why you're here. To be pleasing to God. This is, this is a view, the view of reality as God designed it. And wouldn't you agree with me that that's far different from the worldview that most people have? They think of what can make me happy, what can please me, what can please my friends. But God says we're to live for His pleasure. Now, just answer this in your mind. Uh, do, you, do you think that most people have this kind of a perspective of life, that they're going to get up in the morning, on Monday morning, they're going to get up, and one of the things they're going to be thinking about is, God, how can I please you today? Now, a lot of people in this room will think like that. But do you think most people think like that? No, I don't think so either. I don't think so either. So I want to I think about tonight, using this as a platform, as a starting place, I want to think about having a biblical worldview. What does it mean to have a biblical worldview? Anyone who's aware at all of what's going on in our world can see this great struggle that we're in between Christian truth, Bible truth, and a corrupt and morally indifferent culture. Our country has lost its way. And it's not just, it's not just America, it's most of the world. They've lost their way morally and we have, as a Christian, we have a completely different way of looking at life, right? We should have. It's our worldview. And, and one of the questions that um, I struggle with myself, and I'm sure many in this room, it, and that is why is it that many people who've been raised in Christian homes are falling prey to this culture that we live in. Have you ever thought about that? I'm, I thank God for young people in church tonight. I thank God for young people who are not just here because mom and dad made them come. They're here because they, they uh, want to worship God. They're here because they want the truth. But we ought to be concerned about so many that are falling prey, P-R-E-Y, prey to this culture. And one thing I think we have to consider, there are two things I want to mention tonight, and one, one of them I'll just mention in passing, but, it's, but not because it's unimportant. 
And I think that is true of adults as well, not just children, but adults. One of the reasons that they're not really engaged in Bible truth is because they're not born again. They've never truly been converted. They're not new creations in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. But there's another reason also important, and that is it has to do with our worldview, how we look at life, how we look at our future, how we look at our responsibilities, how we look at our world. So what is a worldview? A worldview is like the framework through which we view reality. It's the, it's the lens that we look through to make sense out of life and the world. And I'm standing before you as a person who's been saved by God's grace for more than 40 years. I thank God for that. But I can, I don't remember everything, but I can distinctly remember what it was like not to have a biblical worldview. It's through our worldview that we understand God. It's through our worldview that we, under, we see the world for what it is. And our relationship to people, it's, it's a combination. A worldview is a combination of everything that we believe to be true. The sad reality is a lot of people grow up in church but never really, never really articulate or, or try to uh, really personalize what we're talking about tonight. And I hope tonight maybe you'll be nudged in that direction. One of the things that, we're, that, I'm, that I want to begin with here in verse 11 is that a person with a biblical worldview believes that the primary purpose in their life is to know and love and serve God. That's our primary purpose in life. No one, absolutely no one, is born with a biblical worldview. It doesn't come as standard equipment. It has to be developed. Now, what contributes to our worldview? First thing is I think would, you would... Uh, think of readily, and I've already mentioned, and that's our spiritual condition. That's not the only thing. That's not, that may not even be the mo main thing, but that is an important thing. See, unsaved people see life through the lens of their lost condition. Um, the natural man cannot comprehend the things of the Spirit of God. Right? Brother Scott tonight taught me a French word tonight that I've have already forgotten. <laughs> I have a short memory, brother. But uh, I don't speak French, right? Um, I don't understand it. You could speak to me in French or Greek, or, and I wouldn't understand it because I don't speak that language. A person who's lost cannot understand or comprehend the things of the Spirit of God. You don't understand spiritual things because of your intellect. You understand spiritual things because you have been born again by the Spirit of God. And when you get saved, the teacher comes to live within you, the Holy Spirit. And He makes spiritual reality known to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we heard about that some in Sunday school this morning, and that's, that's what that's about. We don't understand these things by our own ability we understand them because God shows them to us. 
But the unsaved person does not have a biblical worldview. You know, as a matter of fact, hold your finger up there in, in Revelation 4 and go with me to the book of Isaiah. We're going to look up some passages tonight. Isaiah chapter 14 is one of the scriptures that give us some real insight into the devil, Lucifer, <coughs> his beginning, his role, his fall. And why he fell. What was the cause of his fall? Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, it says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, the son of the morning? See, the devil used to be in heaven. He was an angel, an archangel, created by God. By the way, according to Roman, uh, Revelation 4.11, Lucifer who was an archangel, was created for what purpose? For God's pleasure. So here we find him fallen from that place. It says, How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart. Here's the, here's the if you want to you read the mind of the devil... Here's, here's what his, this is what he was saying. I, thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation to the side, in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. And God says, but yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. In other words, that's the mentality, very prideful, very selfish that's the way the devil is, and that's the kind of worldview that lost people have. They're very selfish, very self-centered, and very prideful. The day I got saved, I was a carnal, humanistic, citizen of this country. Very carnal, fleshly, worldly, selfish, prideful. And I was humanistic because I'd been indoctrinated by the humanistic culture that this world, this country has embraced. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. So this, so I relate to this. Everything's, everything I did was, everything I did was centered around what I wanted. I would lie to my mama to get what I wanted. I would deceive her. I'd tell her I was going to be at one place and I'd be somewhere else. I would deceive my wife. We were married when we got saved. I would deceive her. I'd lie to her. I, I lived for myself. I never really considered her thoughts, her needs. And I didn't do, no one trained me to do that. It was my nature. It was my, it was my view of the world. In my mind, I didn't understand this at the time, but looking back, this is how I really think I felt. That in my mind, the whole world revolved around me. And then, I got saved. And when I got saved, everything changed. Because I changed. The color of my hair didn't change. The length of my hair didn't change. Over the years, the number of my hairs have changed a great, a great deal. But I'm telling you, something's happened on the inside of me that changed me. But you see this humanistic 
worldview everywhere. You see it in the media. You see it in the world of politics. You see it in the public arena. Lying, corruption, selfishness. So unsaved people cannot have a biblical worldview. The converted person, though, the born-again person, should see things differently, as I mentioned earlier. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Amen. Old things pass away, all things become new. Our lives are not our own. There's something perverted, something twisted, something out of place about a Christian who thinks his life is his own. Our life is not our own. We've been bought with a price. Jesus purchased us on the cross of Calvary. He redeemed us. Our life belongs to Him. Our purpose in life is to please Him. Paul wrote to the church at Philippi and he said, Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. You need to think like this. This is not the way we thought when we were lost, but we need to think like this. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon himself the form of a servant, and was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Let this mind be in you. You used to think like this, think like you're supposed to think. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. Saved people, saved people have the capacity, they're on the, they're on the right road to have a biblical worldview. So our spiritual condition affects that. That's not the end of it, but it affects that. You're never going to have a biblical worldview if you're not saved. And if you're saved, you're on the road to having a biblical worldview. But there's another thing other than our spiritual condition, in addition to our spiritual condition, that affects that. And that's our background, our education, our associations, our indoctrination. Let me give you a couple of verses. Go to, uh, we're not gonna, probably not going to come back to Revelation, but go to Colossians. Give you a moment to get there. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Go to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. And verse 6. See, but just because a person is saved doesn't mean they're going to automatically have a biblical worldview. There are a lot of people who are saved that still are thinking a lot like the world thinks. Colossians 2, some great advice. Verse 6 says, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. If you've been saved, walk in Him. Walk in the Lord. Walk in the Spirit. Verse 7. Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith. Now there's responsibility embedded in that. Walk in Him, root and build up in Him, established in the faith, as you've been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. There's no age limit on this young person. This is not, this is not just for old people. This is for all people who know the Lord. If you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in Him. A, a teenager who's truly saved ought to have a walk with God. 
And adults should as well. But then notice the warning in verse 8. Beware. Lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. So what that's telling us, beware, you could be spoiled. The word spoiled there uh, is not like when you leave something in the refrigerator too long and green stuff starts growing on it. That's spoiled, right? That's not the kind of spoil this is. This is not even the kind of spoil like your grandkids are. That's a different kind of spoil. That stinks too. No, I'm just kidding. This is a spoil. This is a spoil when you would have a, a military conflict, you'd have a war, you'd have a battle, and the enemy would capture the spoils. That's what he's talking about here. He says, beware lest any of you be spoiled. Any spoil you. They'll take you captive. Through what? Through belief systems. Through philosophy, vain deceit, traditions of men, the rudiments of the world, the worldly system, the elements of the worldly philosophy, and not after Christ. Don't let anyone convince you to have a mindset that is after the world, but it's not after Christ. You'll become a spoil. Many years ago, I can remember in the 70s, in the late 70s, um, reading works by Francis Schaeffer in How Shall We Then Live. Francis Schaeffer was a philosopher, but one of the things that he was exposing is the danger of humanism. The danger of humanism. Now what is humanism? Uh, I've read a, a recent definition of humanism, and this is it. A system of thought, this is a secular definition of humanism. A, a system of thought attaching prime importance to human rather than divine or supernatural matters. In other words, live more with human reasoning than God's wisdom. That's humanism. By the way, humanism is a religion. Humanism is a religion. It's a system of worship. It's a system of worship that elevates man, man's desires, man's will, man's pleasure. Humanism is a religion, and it is the religion of the government schools and has been for decades. Humanism. Um, the reason that we started a Christian school in 1982 was because of the danger of humanism and the danger of listening to false teaching. Here's the verse, Proverbs 19, 27. Cease, my son, to hear the instruction that causeth to err from the words of knowledge. Don't listen to instruction that causes you to err from this book.
So we decided, our family decided, and our church decided, we can't, we can't continue to let humanists educate our children. And it's not just about what they learn about math, it's about what they learn about life. And so, and this is not a message about, about the dangers of government school, but I'm just telling you, how are you going to have, we need to have a biblical worldview, not a humanistic worldview. And so these factors, our, our background, our education, the media, one of the greatest drivers of a godless worldview is the media. I'm talking about traditional media, if you're talking about television or movies, music, social media. It puzzles me. It puzzles me, it kind of intrigues me when, when children that are maybe eight or nine or ten years old identify as a gender other than their gender at birth. Doesn't that puzzle you? How could an eight or nine or ten-year-old little boy identify as a girl? That's not normal. Some, some factor, some influence is driving that kind of thinking. And one influence we know is not driving it, and it's the Word of God. So what causes this? A, a lot of it is driven by their, their associations, their friends, their, the, the media they're exposed to. It's always been a challenge to train children in the straight and narrow, at least as long as I can remember. It's been a challenge. My mama tried to do it with me, and I know she was, it was a challenge for her. But one thing that happened in the 80s that greatly complicated that, and that's the invention of the Internet and the World Wide Web. Nothing, in my opinion, nothing has done more to challenge parents in raising children with a biblical worldview than the Internet, the World Wide Web. I believe one of the most dangerous factors in the worldview, our children, the worldview of our children is the Internet. And I'm not saying everything about the Internet is wrong. There's some decent things about it, but I'm telling you, it, is a, it can be a cesspool of bad information. And not just filth and moral Filth. I'm, I'm not, not, that's bad enough, and that is bad. But just a, 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 a mentality that we, the world, revolves around us and not God. That is a dangerous viewpoint. And I, was, I shared this with uh, Brother Smith, and I'm not going to share it with you in much detail, but I, I read some statistics recently about the phone usage of girls in their pre-teen years that was alarming. Girls 8, 10, 12 years old, and the percentage of those girls who are being exposed to things that, that should never be exposed to older teenagers is, is horrific. 
You say, what does this have to do with... I think it has everything to do with having a biblical worldview. As a parent, we have to be the ones that are responsible for what our children are, are put, putting into their minds. Things that God never intended for children to be putting into their minds. So what contributes to our worldview? First of all, it's our spiritual condition. Second of all, it's our, the background, our education, our indoctrination, things we're learning, things we're putting into our minds. But there's another factor that I think is being often neglected, and that's the teaching of the Word of God. Um... You know, go with me if you would to Psalms for a moment. We read in Psalm 119. I want to look at that today. Psalm, we read in this in the Sunday school this morning. Psalm 119. And I just want to read a few verses uh, beginning in verse 1. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord, who walk in the law of the Lord. God didn't just give us the Bible that we could carry it, but that we could live it. Verse 2, blessed are they that keep his testimonies, his testimonies, and that seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity, they walk in his ways. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. He's commanded us. To keep his precepts diligently. Then the psalmist said, Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. He goes on to just talk about the emphasis, the word of God. The, there's the, one of the things that's missing, I think, in our lives sometimes is we're not taking the word of God and applying it to our life in practical ways. And I know that's not true of all of us. And it may not be true of, her, of any of us. But somehow we've got we've to get... Children don't just need a list of rules. They need a biblical worldview. They need to see life through the Word of God. And, and for too long, parents have just given them rules and think that, that those rules are all they need. They need more than that. And they need to know why we believe what we believe. And it's not just because that's what the preacher believes. It's not just because that's what the church believes. It's because that's what God believes. Second Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God. Study the Bible. I heard not too long ago, maybe a couple of months ago, about a a family that used to attend our church years ago. And now they've aligned with a group of believers who, who a part of their doctrine is that they're, they're obligated to observe Old Testament feasts and holy days. And they worship on the Sabbath, the seventh day. Now, this is someone who sat has sat in our church for scores, maybe hundreds of Bible lessons, sermons. And yet now they're attending a group. I wouldn't, it's not a church. They're attending a group that believes you have to observe all the Old Testament feasts and holy days to be obedient to God. 
and they're worshiping on the Sabbath day. Now, the first thing I heard of when I heard that was, I, I thought of the scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 that says um, that you... Paul says, I, I, I write to you as I've written to all the churches. So it's about churches. I've written to, I write to you as I've written to all the churches that on the first day of the week you should lay by him in store as God has prospered him. So it's written to the churches. They're meeting on the first day of the week. What I'm saying is the, that one Bible verse has, says a lot about how far in error they are. And then I read in Col I thought about the scripture in Colossians that says, Let no man judge you in meats and in feasts and in holy days. Don't let anybody put that on you. That's what the Bible says. So how do you get mixed up in a group? And I'll tell you how you do it. It's because you don't know your Bible. You don't know your Bible. What does the Bible say? This is an old survey, but Barna, which is renowned as a religious survey group, Barna Research Group, they conducted this nationwide survey about having a biblical worldview. And their survey said, according to the questions, they only asked them a small number of questions, maybe 10 or 12 questions, and according to the survey, only 4% of Americans had a biblical worldview, four out of a hundred Americans. And that didn't really shock me because I don't think most Americans would have a biblical worldview. The next statistic is what was alarming. According to their survey, those who professed to be born again, only 9% of them had a biblical worldview. Nine out of a hundred. That's, that's pretty sad, isn't it? People who say they're born again, I don't know if you can trust that, but this, is, this was the result, Barna's summary of this result, Barna Research Group, was this, although most people own a Bible and know some of its content, our research found that most Americans have little idea how to integrate, how to integrate core biblical principles to form a unified and meaningful response to the challenges and opportunities of life. Most people own a Bible, but they don't know how to take the Bible and apply it to their life. What do these verses mean to me? What do these principles mean to our family? How should we teach this to our children? And what we have is a non-biblical world view. Now, a lot of things are affected by this, and I'm not going to dig down into any of these, but first of all, our view of life is affected by this, how we view life, how we view the origin of life, how we view uh, the rights of the unborn. All, that is, all of that applies to this. And how we view, what is your view of marriage? You say, well... You know, our, our, our old-fashioned view of marriage is not really relevant anymore. It is, too, if it's God's plan. And, and that, that's not even a question that most people, most people would debate about because you'd find a lot of just rednecks who don't even know the Bible. They're for traditional marriage. 
But there are battles going on in religious groups about what marriage is. That's sad, isn't it? What about our relationship to our environment? That's one of the greatest, to me, debacles in our culture is the... I'm just, I just feel like I need to chase a rabbit. Is the way people treat their animals and the way that people look at the, you know, the creation. They worship the creator more than the creation more than the creator. I'm not against animals. I'm just saying it's a twisted world we live in. So what should be the basic characteristics of a biblical worldview? And I'm going to just try to wrap this up. Number one, it begins with God, the God of the Bible. Not any God, but the God of the Bible. You say, how do you know how God is? Because he reveals himself in his word. There's a diabolical war against the God of the Bible. He's the creator of all that is. In the beginning, in the beginning, God created. He didn't begin then, he, but in the beginning, he created. He, was, he existed forever. He's existed for eternity. So our, our biblical worldview should begin with God and it should agree with the Word of God. The Bible is the standard. There, there are lots of people who profess to be saved who take a position other than what's in the Bible because they don't want to look into the Bible and honestly see what the Bible says. The Bible is the standard. Let God be true, but every man a liar. And shame on me, or shame on you, or shame on any other Christian who's not willing to take the Bible and research the Bible and see what the Bible says about any issue. It's been well said that a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who's not. So the, it, starts with the, it starts with God, it agrees with the Bible, and the end objective in all things, and this is really where we begin, the end objective in all things is God's glory. It's not our pleasure, it's God's glory. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. I love the scripture in Romans 11. I remember hearing a sermon on this scripture when we were still in Texas. I was 21 or 22 years old. For of him, through him, and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. For of him, through him, and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Now, tonight I just wanted to preach a message on this subject because how are we going to stand if we don't know what to stand for? We don't stand for our opinions. We don't stand for our preferences. We don't stand for our pleasures or our... We stand for what God says. We ought to stand where God stands. So we want to make God and His truth the center of our worldview. Wouldn't that be a good thing if, if we could not only do that in, as adults, but we could, get, we could get that into our children? I'm glad for Christians, kids, boys and girls, teenagers who go to church and are homeschooled or go to the public school or go to the Christian school, but they're, but they're 
learning the Bible and they carry their Bible. But I'm telling you, just because they go to Sunday school and just because they sit in church and just because of that, that doesn't mean that they're really developing and building a strong biblical worldview. And I'm going to do my part. I'm doing my part tonight. I do that part several times a week. But you know the primary person, persons, parties that are responsible to build this into their children? That's mom and dad. It's not the Sunday school teacher's job. The Sunday school teacher ought to be supplementing what's going on in the home. But it's the job of the parents to teach their children. And that takes time. You may have to turn your phone off and spend some time with your children and say, let's see what the Bible says about this. Let's see what God says about this. Amen. So we need to make God and His truth the center of our world and cultivate a heart and a habit of seeking God's wisdom. I want to say this to all of us, but I spe specifically want to say it and particularly want to say it to every teenager in this room. How would it change your life if you were to decide, and some of you are already here, I'm sure, but how would it change your life if you were to decide, to decide, I'm going to make it my business to seek God for wisdom about everything in life that I need wisdom for. For my friends, for my attitude, for my relationship to my parents. I'm going to ask God to give me wisdom about all these things. And you, you, just some people just hearing that, they immediately zone out because they don't really want God's wisdom. You know why? Because we don't have a biblical worldview. We have a humanistic, self-centered worldview like Satan had. We can do better than that. We can do better than that. Wouldn't that be a good prayer to pray tonight in this invitation? God, I want you to give me a biblical worldview of life, of relationships, of, of moral issues. I want to know what what you say. People in this room, a lot of people in this room can relate to what I'm about to say. But over the years, many of us have looked at things like the world's philosophy of boyfriend, girlfriend, and dating. And we looked at that and we say, you know what? You can't find anything remotely like that in the Bible. It's not in there. Man, when I grew up, I was growing up in school, boys and girls, grade school, they're writing love notes to each other, I love you, and I never had anybody writing me one, but I mean, <laughs> I couldn't even get my mama to write me one. That's the way we were raised. It seemed like it was right. You say you love people, you give them your heart, you fall in love with people. But, but, all, but we started years ago saying, is this really biblical? What's the biblical basis of this? And now many of our parents have taught their children, God has something better than this for us. Right? You know, there's nothing wrong 
if you were raised with the wrong thinking like I was, but don't stay there. Don't stay there. Be willing to subject your thoughts, your opinions to what God says. God's boy is a better way, amen? It's just a better way. That's what God's children do. That's what disciples of Christ do. Amen? We want a biblical worldview. It starts with being saved. That's where it starts. Truly being converted. It continues with spiritual growth and Bible study and paying attention. Wanting to grow. 